What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of After the Game in conversation with me and my dad, where we talk about the post-jazz game. My name is Spencer. Hey, and this is the dad, Barry. Thank you for joining us on this episode of After the Game. And the Jazz win their third in a row with a big win against the Boston Celtics. The final score, 137-130. And what's impressive to me is that score of 137 to 130 is a non-overtime game, an amazing game down the stretch, high scoring in the second half. Spencer, what are your thoughts? Got the win, and it was a battle for sure. The Celtics definitely came with all they had. It's It was kind of scary going back and forth. I think there was a couple of ties and then uh, lead changes towards the end of the third and, and start of the fourth quarter. But it really came down to the Mitchell versus, versus Tatum, and we can jump into it a little bit, but it helps – having three all-stars on the team and it helps when three of those, when one of those three all-stars plays his superstar night. And so, yeah, I mean, three all-stars, there was another all-star that played really well and that was Mike Conley. So there's a lot to dissect here, uh, but you're right. It was a Tatum versus Mitchell down the stretch type game. I just added up the game in the second half was 78 to 74 for the Utah jazz. That's like a, regular season game of 20 years ago, but uh, a lot of points scored. However, I also think the teams were scrappy on defense the whole game. What did you think? Well, the talk is the turnovers for the Jazz. I, we were listening to the Celtics broadcast when I was watching the game, and they even pointed it out that the Celtics were in the game because the Jazz had turned it over so many times because the Jazz – played their game with the three-pointers. I think they scored about 25 three-pointers. Um, so there was the most three-pointers scored in the Celtics in a long time. And well, I think in history, that was the most three-pointers ever made against the Boston Celtics. And the Boston Celtics are the oldest team. So that's a record that is pretty cool that the Jazz now hold. So it definitely was what the Jazz game plan is, and it was operational. But the problem was, and the reason why the Celtics were in it, may, maybe it's because they every team has to get up and play against the Jazz hard, but mainly because of the turnovers. What do you think, and why were the Jazz turning it over so much? And it was just weird, random turnovers too. Yeah, the the Celtics had a little bit of hustle early, and were feeling the passing lanes, and yet the Jazz were making lazy passes they're going to look at this game tonight having won by seven having had to stay in the game the whole game but having made 25 three-pointers and wondering why it was so close and then when they watch the film they'll just see like you said somewhat silly turnovers during the game it does help the Jazz had about four games off and so they're sleeping in their own beds they've had a couple home games lately and so their legs were there we had Royce back which is interesting because Ingles was playing really well. And now Ingles is out of the starting lineup. Royce is back in the starting lineup. And I kind of, it was interesting because Royce kind of did guard Tatum towards the end of the game. There was a couple of times when Tatum switched and got by his man and whether it be Conley or Gobert or even Mitchell, when he'd get a switch on them and he could beat them one-on-one. So I guess I, I'm kind of saying Royce is he is a good role player for us where he can play defense on these all-stars and at least manage it. Well, Royce 
Yes. It, I mentioned during the game to you that I missed having Eagles because Eagles played well the last two games and it was good to see him have good games and get back into a rhythm. He actually made a couple of big shots during the game tonight. So I was yeah. really excited to have him on the floor. But when you look at the box score and O'Neill's numbers, 12 points, 10 rebounds, five assists, that is a really good night for Royce O'Neill. And so I'm really happy that he came back. He was four for four from the field, two for two from the three-point line, two for two from the three free throw line. So he was a perfect night tonight um, and, and just did really well. So happy for him. Um, and, and when you look at the minutes as well, so he played 32 minutes. Ingles played 22. So Ingles' minutes came down because Royce was back. Uh, we needed every shot, every play, every rebound from every player tonight. Yeah, so we had six players with double digits. Ingles almost had double digits. Clarkson had 11 points. Rudy Gay played pretty well. And then Whiteside didn't really get too many minutes. He's kind of is, – is Rudy Gay taking from Whiteside's minutes or is Gobert just playing longer? I think Gobert's playing a bit longer. Whiteside has not played well over the last few games. When he's on the floor, uh, his plus-minus tonight was a minus 10. Whoa. I'm not saying – Plus minus is always difficult because there's four other guys on the floor at the same time. But I've been listening to other podcasts, David Locke and a few other jazz uh, comments and commentators and Whiteside is slipping. There's not cause for panic. I'm glad that he's there, but the defensive unit, when he's on the floor, something's not right. It's not all Whiteside. It's just, he's been slipping of late, but you're right. Gobert's getting a few more minutes and, they were desperately needed tonight. One thing that I did notice is Tatum ends with 38 minutes tonight. They said during the broadcast that he is the he has he is logging the second most minutes in the NBA. And that is interesting to me because Mitchell played 32 minutes tonight, 34 points. Tatum played 38 minutes tonight, so six whole minutes more and 37 points. Tatum, when you look at the end of the season and see his stat line and where he's scoring and everyone cheers for Tatum and he is a great player and all-star, he's logging a lot of minutes to get his statistics. That's true. But who was out today for the, it was Brown, right? Jalen Brown was out today. That said, Schroeder picked up the slack, 26 points, two rebounds, three assists. He had a missed layup down the stretch that was a little interesting. So. Um, Schroeder did fill in the gap quite nicely for Jalen Brown. It's always hard to say if, a, if an all-star like Jalen Brown is out, does that give the jazz a benefit or does it make a player like Schroeder step up? And tonight Schroeder stood up, um, stepped up and, and did fairly well. And then the random player on the other team that went off tonight, I would say would be Al Hortford. He usually averages 12 points a game, but tonight he scored 21 and had nine assists. Um, and I think like he had like 15 in the first half. I think so. he had night. You're right. He had 19 in the first half. So right. a tale of two halves, 19 in the first two in the second, he seemed almost non-existent in the second after having a Herculean first half. So it's a good, it's a good point out there of, of the Celtics. I was surprised the Celtics really stayed with the jazz. The jazz came out and socked him in the mouth early went up by nine and 11 and 12 and then 14. And 
I thought the Jazz would run away with this, but you got to give credit to the Celtics. They kept fighting, and they came out in that second half and just really ran some good schemes offensively and played tough on defense as well. And then Tatum had a heck of a third quarter to really, really bring them back. So Gobert's playing at a crazy level over the past couple of games. Not tonight, 18 points, 12 rebounds. I, I mean, it seems weird saying that's normal, but it's it's because it's really outstanding, but it is normal for him. And then Conley had a great night, almost 30 points. That's incredible for Conley. But I do want to give credit to Mitchell really quick. If you notice the way Quinn does his, um, his lineup in the fourth quarter, Mitchell usually comes in around the 7.30 mark or the eight-minute mark. And that's when you should really notice. And if you're watching the game, that, that's when you should notice what the score is when he's coming in and what the momentum is like when he's coming in. He came in when the Jazz were up five. Ingles had just hit, I think, two threes. So he came in with eight minutes left, up by five. And we went down for a little bit. And so that's kind of scary. But then Mitchell came out and did what an all-star does. And he really took over. And we ended up winning by how many points we won by six or seven. And so I've been paying attention to him over the past three to four games when he comes back in at the eight-minute mark, seven, 30-minute mark, seven-minute mark. And just see what the score is and then see where we end up towards the last minute. In the past couple of games when he's come in, it's been a little bit close and he's just blown them out. And so I think that just shows kind of that Mitchell's over a slump and he's starting to realize, hey, I'm the closer on the team. And so the ball is going to be in my hands. Let me take advantage of it. Well, good point. Good insight. Good for all of us to watch when he's out and then when he comes back in. And he hit some big shots tonight. Uh, Went to the rim well in that last quarter wasn't afraid of the moment. And I think that's what you're basically saying here is he's not afraid of the moment. And, and maybe I'm hanging on this a little bit too much. Tatum gets a lot of press, a lot of accolades. He deserves it, but let's be clear. The kid is six, eight, and he was the number two draft of that draft class. Donovan Mitchell six, one, and he was the number 13th pick of the same draft class. And yet Mitchell not afraid of the moment and went toe to toe with Tatum tonight when Tatum was actually having a big night and, uh, and just did really well. So really happy for Donovan Mitchell and a great point to make about the game. He had, he did what he needed to do and what the team needed to do quite frankly, down the stretch. Yeah. So moving along the game that we've kind of been following the past couple of minutes, is Phoenix versus Golden State, the two best teams in the league. I think they share the same record, and so this will decide right where each one's at. Right now, with about five minutes left in the third quarter, Golden State is winning 69-62. to What do you think of uh, other teams around the league? You know, this could be the end of an 18-game winning streak for the wow. Phoenix Suns, uh, a franchise record. you got to hand it to them. When we first started – this season and we're looking at the first four or five games you saw Phoenix faltering you thought was it a flash in the pan strong words you know was last year an anomaly Um, and now they railed up 18 straight wins they're 19 and three the number one team in the NBA it looks as though in that they're in Golden State tonight and Steph Curry is playing his game that the Warriors are going to win this one and they'll go 19 and four and the Suns will be 19 and four at the end of the night. These are just two powerhouse teams that uh, really are setting the standard in the league this year and might be tough to beat. When Clay Thompson gets back for the Golden State Warriors, they just went up 71 62 
Um, so they're up nine now on their home floor uh, late in the third. When Clay Thompson gets back, if he's even 50% or 70% of what he was, um, this Warriors team is going to be tough to beat. They could be a championship team again. I saw on NBA.com a five-minute segment on what makes Draymond Green tick and why is he so passionate. I'd encourage anyone to go on NBA.com and find that. Um, I'm not a big Draymond Green fan, but for five minutes, he talks about what drives him, what motivates him, and he just says, at the end of my career, I want to be known as a winner. And with a player on your team like that, your team can go really far. So, again, not a big fan of Draymond Green, but the Warriors are to be reckoned with and are up nine now on the Suns late in the third quarter. It's a really good point. It, having someone that's wanting to win and being known as a winner is something that every athlete can strive to be. Did the, did the Phoenix Suns already play the Warriors already? Yeah, they played earlier this week or end of hold, last week, and the Suns, they the Sun, the Suns beat them in Phoenix. The Suns beat them in Phoenix, right? And and Curry only scored four points that game, right? He scored twelve points that game, but you're right. He he was four. He was only like four for twelve from shooting, so he scored twelve total points in that win in that loss. I think right now, if you look at the box score, he had 15 in the first half. And right now he has uh, 23. So the way Steph Curry goes is the way that the Golden State Warriors go. Uh, When I saw Steph Curry early on in his career, I thought, well, he'll be a decent shooter, but he's undersized. He won't be able to do what he needs to do. And I'm not sure if he has the heart that an Allen Iverson had. But Steph Curry has become one of the greatest players of all time. When you do what he's done for his career and you continue to do it, it is just truly amazing. So I hats off. We haven't played either one of these teams. It it will be a barometer as to how good we are when we play these teams at full strength and they're at full strength. So we're going to see what happens, but man, Golden State's now up 75 to 62, starting to put some distance between them and the Suns, and uh, it'll be probably a win, and both teams will be 19 and four at the end of the night. Yeah, it's funny because there was a tweet thread that came out. um, The date was in 2011 when people were commenting on Steph Curry. I think Allen Iverson was leaving the league during around that time. Um, Quite possibly, yeah. I'm not, yeah. No, Ray Allen was leaving in 20. 20- yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so they were they were saying, oh, will anybody catch him? And then somebody mentioned, oh, maybe Steph Curry, he shoots pretty well. And they're like, oh, I don't even know if he'll catch Jason Kidd. And now look at him, he's, he's going off. So it's funny. As we move around the league, our, the next game for the Jazz will be Sunday against Cleveland. It's interesting because Cleveland has a better record than the Boston Celtics. So Boston was 12 and 10 going in tonight. Now they're 12 and 11 after losing. The Cleveland is 13 and 10 right now. So on paper or on, on the standings, Cleveland is better than Boston. What does that mean for the Jazz? Yeah, we're going to see our old friend Ricky Rubio. He's actually having an okay season this year with Cleveland Cavaliers. They've got a lot of heart um, and a lot of spunk. And they're playing, in my mind, above their level. And that's fun to see in the NBA. 
Interesting, the Jazz haven't been on the road too much of late. Now they're going to get back on the road before the, the, the holiday uh, rolls into town. And the, um, the Cavs are five and five in their last 10. They've won four in a row, though, out of those last five. And their 13 and 10 record is made up of five wins at home and eight wins on the road. So this team is better on the road than they are at home. And we're going to catch them at home. But they have Jared Allen, who I all, I've always liked from who came from the Brooklyn Nets. They have um, uh, Lori Markinen, who's been playing well for them, who came over from the Chicago Bulls. They have uh, Osman, who has been playing well, Ricky Rubio. So they're, they're a team that that is going to be interesting. But I believe if the Jazz can get into them and play their game, with the Cavs only being five and six at home, I, I don't know if they're a great home team, and we've just got to show our maturity on the road. Well, the Jazz can't sleep on them, that's for sure, because sometimes the Jazz do do that. I do think the Jazz are out of a slump. They kind of looked at themselves in the mirror and said, why are we losing games we should be winning? And and Because they have – I think the Jazz, honestly, team by team, they have the most potential out of every team just because each player is so good and their depth is so deep. But – I'm excited for the game. Should be another good one. Hopefully don't sleep on them, but you never know. Yeah, listen, they're coming off of a big win tonight. Cleveland went into Washington and beat the Wizards 116-101. And uh, again, go back to what you said. In the standings, they're actually sixth in the East. Just a game behind Milwaukee, a game behind Washington, a game behind Miami. So it's not like they're very far away from the top teams in the East with Brooklyn being 16 and six. They're only three and a half games behind the first place Brooklyn Nets. So it'll be fun to see what the Jazz do. It'll be a good test for them. We play a string of games against teams like tonight that are 12 and 10, 11 and 11, 13 and 10. And we're going to see if, are we that level of a team in that kind of scrunched up area? in the NBA or are we part of the elite teams in the NBA? So tonight was a step forward to be a part of the elite teams. Just a comment on the teams and this, there's a lot of teams, you know, 14 and nine, 14 and nine, 13 and 10, 12 and 11, 12 and 11, 12 and 11, all in the, uh, in the, in the Eastern conference. And then you, you look in the Western conference and you see the same thing, Memphis, 12 and 10, Dallas, 11 and 10, 12 and 11, 11, 11, 11 and 12. The NBA is so good that parity has really come into play. Sure, there are two major teams in Phoenix and Golden State that are playing well, but the rest of the league actually in the next 20 teams are all very similar. What do you make of that in the NBA this season? Mm, preach it. They're all really good. Um, I don't know. I think it's just the best year for the NBA. Each team has developed, I mean, the sport itself, we're knowing kind of statistics don't lie and where teams are knowing, Hey, if we put this statistic player with this statistic player, then we should have a good team. And that's what's happening. And there's just so much talent and so much athleticism out there. that There's every team you could say has one to two all-stars on them. And so it makes a difference. And then you look over at OKC playing against Memphis and they get blown out by 75. Points uh, we should spend a minute on that because that was historical they got beat by 73 points and you keep you see a highlight of that game and you look down and you see the score and you see how 
wide that score was for most of the game. And that was without the Memphis Grizzlies were playing without Ja Morant. Jeez. How does that happen the other night, that game where they just absolutely got throttled 152 to 79. They lose by 73 points and they only put up 79 points. They almost got doubled in a game. We're not talking about a quarter or a half or three quarters, a full game. They almost got doubled 152 to 79. Yeah, I didn't realize it was without John Moran. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, so without John Moran, Jaron Jackson scored 27 points to lead the Memphis Grizzlies, but they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine people in double figures. And they went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They went 12 deep and had nine players scoring double figures. OKC just, it's just a strange, strange game. They didn't have, doesn't look like Giddy played or Gilgis Alexander didn't play. That's a problem when you have your best rookie and your best player on the bench. But no team should get beat by 73. That's just crazy to me. Yep. Well, Gilly was the rookie of the month for no, for November, so he definitely has the talent. And then I guess if I was a um, if I was a Memphis fan, I'd be kind of it'd be bittersweet because I'd want my best night to be not against Oklahoma. That's a team that you can beat without having eight or nine players go ten plus points. But still, I mean, you never expect a team to win by over seventy points, especially in a league like this where every team is good except for maybe one or two. Yeah, we talked about it early in the season. And when you look at the standings, I'm going to go right to the bottom of the bottom, I don't know, five teams. You know, you look at San Antonio, 7-13, and 13, the Pelicans, Houston, OKC, Orlando, and Detroit. Here's what stings a little bit being a Utah Jazz fan. The 29th team out of 30 teams is Orlando. And they beat us in Orlando, five wins. The 26th team in the league with seven wins was New Orleans Pelicans, and they beat us. The 24th team in the league is the Indiana Pacers, and they beat us. So three of our seven losses came to three of the worst teams in the league. And that hurts a little bit when we get to the end of the season and we're one or two games away from a playoff spot where we would have liked to have been, you'll go back to some of these games. But tonight I also heard the announcer saying they said it maybe last game against Portland, that loss to new Orleans on the front end of a back-to-back and then to come and win the next night might've been a tipping point or a changing point in the jazz season. What do you think? Yeah, it's what got us out of our slums. Like I said, I think the Jazz looked themselves in the mirror after losing that game and said, why are we losing to these teams when we're supposed to be good? The keyword is supposed to be, so you have to come out and play like you're the best. And that's what turned it. We haven't lost since. And I think, I know Boston is only 12 and 11 now. Beating Boston is a huge confidence booster because it's saying we can still beat, quote unquote, the best teams. So I think yeah, that's a huge Very win. good. Very good point. You talk about signature wins. This is not a signature win because Boston's not a top-level team this year, but it's a, it, it's a good win, and maybe it's a statement win that we're 
where we need to be. With all of my lamenting and all of my wondering in my mind about the Jazz and how well they're playing and maybe they're not playing so well, we still have the fourth best team in the NBA at 15-7. Phoenix, Golden State, Brooklyn, then Utah, and Chicago. So we're one of the top five teams and we're the number one ranked offense in the league with, I don't know if it's the fastest pace of play, but we have the, I believe the, the fastest shooting inside the shot clock in the NBA. And if you go back in NBA jazz history to the Jerry Sloan coach days, and even some of the Quinn Snyder days, we weren't this fast triggering team. Hmm. And it's kind of fun to watch and fun to see. Yeah. We're just ready to shoot and we know where we're going to shoot, but yeah, just to close things out. I think winning tonight was a good confidence for Mitchell because he knows that he can go toe to toe with an all-star and a more publicized all-star and come out on top. And so I think that will help the jazz moving forward. Conley and Gobert kind of play a little bit more consistent, but it's Mitchell who has the ball in his hands at the end of the game that we need to be confident. So what else do you have? Anything else? Um, Maybe just looking really quick at the jazz schedule. So we play Cleveland as we've talked about on Sunday, and then we play Minnesota on the following Wednesday. And then we play Philly and Washington So the next four games are on the road, and I think it'll be a test. Again, all of these teams are good. Cleveland, Minnesota, Philly, and Washington. So this will be fun to watch. And every night you're watching a great player like we saw tonight in Jason Tatum as well. So fun night, big win, and uh, just fun to talk about it. Yeah, great talking to you, Dad. Thanks. All right, Spence. Have a good night. See you. Bye.